Um, it had to do with God's expectation on His people. That they would keep the covenant and all that was involved in it made in the book of Exodus. When God brought His people up out of Egypt to take them to the promised land where they would be His people and He would be their God. God made a covenant with them, a pact, an agreement. Uh, there were terms to this relationship that as His people, as the ones that God brought out of Egypt, uh, as the ones He was bringing into the promised land, uh, they were expected to live a certain way. They were expected to live in a way that marks them especially as God's people. Uh, that they would be different to the rest of the nations, set apart from uh, the rest of the nations. So in Deuteronomy 6 we read, God brought us, that is the nation of Israel, out from Egypt to bring us in and give us the land He promised on earth to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey, to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as He has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So to fulfill all righteousness then goes hand in hand with what God expected from His people in the covenant that He made with them. Righteousness, fulfilling all righteousness has to do with keeping the commands of God. The question we're still left with is how that relates to Jesus' baptism though. Um, especially since we've already established that of all people, Jesus didn't need to be baptized. The answer I think is in the way that Jesus' baptism story unfolds. Uh, we read in Matthew 3.16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, the way the story of Jesus uh, baptism is told is designed to call to mind a whole matrix of Old Testament texts. Um, it calls to mind Psalm 2 verse 7, which talks about God setting apart His anointed King from the line of David. Um, it calls to mind uh, Isaiah 42, which talks about the servant in whom God delights, uh, who's, um, and places His Spirit upon, who will bring justice to the nations. It brings together Genesis and Exodus, which both talk about um, the, the Spirit or the breath of God, same Hebrew word, um, over the waters, the separating of the waters and placing God's people safely on dry land um, at the other end of it. And it's no coincidence that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, which is the place where Joshua reenacted what happened in the Exodus. Uh, where uh, God's people were being brought into the promised land. All of that's being called to mind here in uh, Jesus' baptism story. So put that all together. And what we have here in Matthew 3 is a new exodus. A new deliverance. A new rescue. But in the place of Israel is Jesus. God's anointed king. God's chosen servant who would bring justice to the nations. That gives us the framework to understand verse 15. What it means to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus, uh, Israel were rescued and set apart to be God's people. 
and as such were expected to keep his covenant. But they didn't do that. But where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. So uh, we see that as the story goes on. But before we move, uh, before we move on, I think let's just pause for a second and ask where we fit into the story. Where are we in all of this? Well, we're in the place of Israel. We're a sinful people who have rejected God and decided for ourselves what is good. A people who uh, prefer a life of slavery, slavery to sin, instead of the freedom that God offers to love and to enjoy Him forever. We're a people who are content with mud pies in the desert because we've forgotten about the paradise of the promised land. We settle for fleeting pleasures, the things of this world, and lose sight of infinite joy to be found in God. We're a people in desperate need of the Savior. That's why Jesus came, to fulfill all righteousness, to succeed where Israel failed. And he shows us that uh, that's what he's doing by retracing their steps. Where, uh, where that takes him is into the wilderness, the place where the people of Israel failed, where they wandered, uh, where they wandered around for 40 years. We read in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years, to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your hearts, whether or not you would keep his commands. So that's where Jesus goes. So that's the second thing that we want to look at this morning. Uh, Jesus testing. Uh, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After uh, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Surprise. There Jesus faced three tests, and in the first, the slanderer tells him to make bread out of rocks. He's just like, Jesus, you, you're hungry, right? I mean, come now. We, we know what you can do here. We know that you can just snap your fingers, and there would be some, some food for you. And that's gourmet something, I don't know, sandwich. It's actually the same test that Israel failed back when they were in the wilderness. So in Deuteronomy we read, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors have known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The slanderer, the devil, uh, was prodding Jesus uh, to use his power to serve himself, rather than to humbly trust in God and his provision. As one writer explains, in the Israelites' wilderness wanderings, the provision of manna created precisely that kind of dependence, because the people on their own could not provide for themselves. Where Israel failed to trust in the provision of God, 
Jesus succeeded. In the second temptation, the slanderer actually uses scripture for himself. Uh, he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up by their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, of course, he's, he's pulling it out of, out of its context. Um, it's worth just pausing here, though, to notice what the slanderer is doing. He's using scripture to make a point. There's a great danger in using the Bible to support our beliefs rather than letting the Bible shape our beliefs. It's scary how the Bible can be used to justify something as horrendous as apartheid. But that's what can happen when we use the Bible to support our beliefs rather than to shape them. That's what happens when we're so caught up with what we already think that we end up just projecting our own ideas onto the Bible rather than letting the Bible speak for itself and speak to us. Rather than letting God's Word shape and change us and mold us. And often that can be an uncomfortable process. It's a difficult thing changing our minds on things when it's something that we're so committed to. See, the slanderer might have been quoting scripture, but he had no regard for what it actually meant. He's quoting from Psalm 91. And yes, it says exactly what the devil says it does. Um, but the Psalms can't just be read in vacuum. They can't just be read on their own. The Psalms were written as reflective literature. They were, they were given to Israel to, um, to help them read Deuteronomy and to reflect on uh, God's teaching in Deuteronomy, which is where Jesus quotes from in his response. Jesus responds to scripture with more scripture. Um, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The passage Jesus is quoting from, from Deuteronomy, points us back to the story in Exodus where Israel did put God to the test. So we read in Exodus 17, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water then, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst. Israel failed to put trust in God's provision. Israel put God to the test. But where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. In the last temptation, the slander advised for Jesus' worship. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Once more, Jesus answers with words from Deuteronomy. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God, um, who is among you, is a jealous God, 
and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. That's what Jesus is calling to mind. That's the section that Jesus is calling to mind when he says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. The Lord is a jealous God. It is him alone that we are to worship. Worship belongs to God alone, but not arbitrarily. Remember what we said about righteousness earlier. Um, that righteousness meant faithfulness to the covenant. The covenant where the nation of Israel became God's people and God became their God. Uh, it was like a marriage. They were bound to Him alone. And in fact, throughout um, the Bible, God's relationship with His people is often described as uh, in terms of a marriage. Uh, a faithful husband but quite often an unfaithful wife. That's what we saw time and time again in the book of Judges. Uh, time and time again the Israelites turned away and worshipped the gods of other nations. That's what you see, you see in the book of Exodus. Uh, while Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the law from God that will tell them, don't worship other gods, they're at the bottom of the mountain worshipping other gods. It's quite ridiculous. But where the Israelites failed, Jesus succeeded. Where we failed, Jesus succeeded. That's what Matthew wants us to see here. We see here in Matthew a picture of the human condition. The whole way through, we're being pointed back to the nation of Israel who did what was right in their own eyes, who acted according to their own desires, deciding for themselves what is good, rather than trusting God, rather than trusting that He knows what's best, rather than trusting that He knows what's good for us, that uh, what it means to be human is uh, best defined by the one who decided what humanity is. It's a picture of humanity that traces its way all the way back to page 3 of our Bibles. But, it's all, but all of that is called to mind to show how Jesus is not like that. To show that Jesus is not like us in that regard. Where we failed, Jesus succeeded. Where we sinned, Jesus remained sinless. Where we offered worship to another, He remained faithful to the Father. Jesus came to be what we couldn't. And in so doing, to lead a new exodus out of slavery to sin and death and into the new promised land, <coughs> the new creation uh, where we will enjoy rest with God forever. That's why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you're following Jesus, that's where He's leading you. If this morning you are a follower of Jesus, that's where we're going. To enjoy God forever with, uh, with us as His people and He is our God. It's the picture in Revelation 21 of, um, of us being before the throne of God, us being His, dwelling in His presence forever, in absolute perfection. 
It's where we'll be what we were always called to be. His image bearers. In perfect relationship with him. That's what we're holding on for. But for the time being, we're still in the wilderness. For the time being, we're still wandering in the desert. And on the flip side of that hope, on the flip side of what it is that we're holding on to, is a warning. So in Hebrews 3, we read this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I keep forgetting that this is the first Sunday of the year. As we were getting coffee this morning, Leanne and I were wished Happy New Year. Like, what? Uh, and then it happened again when we arrived, and then it happened again when we arrived. I keep kind of forgetting that it's New Year. I don't know if you've got any New Year's resolutions, um, but maybe this should be one of them. Maybe these words from Hebrews should be one of uh, our New Year's resolutions, maybe as individuals, but also just as a church. Uh, encourage one another daily. As a church, week in, week out, let's do that. Let, let that shape our 2020. Let's week in, week out, month in, month out, be pointing each other to Jesus, spurring each other on. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let's be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, where we failed, you succeeded. Where we sinned, you remained sinless. Where we turned to other gods, and when we settled for mud pies in the slum, you were faithful to the Father alone. You came to rescue us to bring us into eternal glory. Father, we pray that uh, you would impress this on our hearts this year. That as we uh, go into 2020, that you would keep that ever before us. And that you would help us to encourage each other daily. That you would help us to spur each other on while the promise of rest still stands. Praise in your name, for your glory, and our joy. Amen.
Jesus did succeed. And Lord, when we do fail, help us to throw ourselves. 